1: homes.com we've done your homework
2: welcome to the good stuff i'm jacob schick and i'm joined by my co-host and wife ashley schick
3: Jake is a third generation combat Marine and I'm a gold star granddaughter. We work together to serve military, veterans, first responders, frontline healthcare workers, and their families with mental and emotional wellness through traditional and non-traditional therapy at One Tribe Foundation.
2: We believe everyone has a story to tell, not only about the peaks, but also the valleys they've been through to get them to where they are today.
3: Each week we invite a guest to tell us their story, to share with us the lessons they've learned that shaped who they are and what they're doing to pay it forward and give back.
2: Our mission with this show is to dig deep in our guest's journey so that we can celebrate the hope and inspiration their story has to offer.
3: We are thrilled you're joining
2: us. Again, welcome to the good stuff.
3: Welcome to our season one finale. Thank you so much for listening over the last 30 episodes. We are truly grateful for your support and hope this podcast has provided inspiration and hope for each of you like it has for us. Thanks for making this show what it is and what it's growing into. And for those of you that have been listening all along and learning about the two of us over the course of season one, we wanted to bring the podcast full circle and end where we started with our own story.
2: I strongly second everything Ash said, because without you guys, there is no show, and really we're coming full circle, because today our guest is me, telling my version of the story of when I was severely injured while serving this country. I do a lot of public speaking, and this is a story I've told many, many times, but this recording is different, because it's intimate, it's to my wife, just two of us in a room, And I'm going to dig deep to go back to that day and that place and remember it just the way I remember it every single day, but on a much deeper level, because I think that that's only fair because of what our guest has given us. I think I owe it to all of you to do the same.
3: With that said, Jacob Schick, welcome to the season one finale of The Good Stuff. Today, we're going to hear about the day you were injured while serving our country in Iraq nearly 20 years ago. At the time you were 22 years old on your first deployment in the Sunni Triangle of Iraq.
2: It was September 20th, 2004, about 5 a.m., and I'm the leader of the REACT team. REACT team is very similar to the QRF, which means quick reaction force. And what happens is we get called when there's a threat in our area of operation that needs to be neutralized and I was sitting in the Humvee next to Doc because it was his turn to be on watch. And I was debriefing with Doc about this high stress situation that we just had with the Iraqi National Guard. And I was still very much coming off my adrenaline high and the guys had already bedded down inside the tent. Once that adrenaline dump wears off, like you just nosedive. There's always just super high highs and super low lows. There's very little in between. And so I remember when I walked into the tent, you know, and that's where I find my moment of solace and sit down on my cot, trying to be quiet because I know the guys need sleep. I kick the boots off, which is like taking a deep breath, laying in your bed at the end of a long day, knowing, okay, whatever my abnormal baseline is, I can get to it right now, even for a minute. And I laid down on my cot and within 15 minutes, a riot got called. And I remember just feeling bad for the guys because I knew that everybody was tired and hungry and thirsty and miserable. I just remember smiling because I was like, you know, Murphy's law, it's just never ending. So I get up and I put my boots on. I wake all the guys up, and the way we do it is not by rubbing their backs and whispering sweet nothings in their ear. You know, it's just not the way we do it in the Marine Corps. And I got everybody up and told them we got to react and get moving.
3: And I know you've told me before, a react is basically a response by your unit to a threat in your area of operation.
2: You know, all the guys are rustling and, and groaning and mumbling, and as they should, we were exhausted. Everybody was exhausted. We were tired. We weren't physically beaten up, but we were pretty emotionally exhausted. The moment I breached the outside of the tent, I felt it and I knew we were gonna get hit.
3: Where did that feeling come from?
2: I believe that you know, that was a combination of God and my grandfather talking to me from beyond the grave. And I felt that it was so real so convicting that I knew whatever I feel from this point forward, no matter what happens, I have to listen to it, which is my gut. I remember stopping for a moment and having um, a lot of nervousness come over me, and I looked to my right, and all nine of the other Marines in the React team were walking to the two Humvees to get ready to go on this react. I remember seeing a couple of them dragging their flak jackets and having their boots unlaced. and Because it was just, it's so the antithesis of what people think of, most likely, when they think of the Marine Corps.
3: Right, because Marines are always so buttoned up and squared away.
2: I remember looking at them, and I felt this overwhelming sense of love and respect for them. And I just remember thinking to myself, like I am so freaking honored that those are my brothers. Right after that, I look to my left and I see my commanding officer's Humvee and I knew he had a bomb blanket. And somebody somewhere, God my grandfather, told me go get that bomb blanket.
3: And a bomb blanket is that one more layer of protection that you need in your vehicle should you get hit.
2: So I went and opened the passenger door of his Humvee, and I take the bomb blanket out, and I start walking to the two vehicles, and I go to the lead vehicle. The driver was in the driver's seat, and I told him to scoot over. I got it, and he looked at me. He's like, "No, bro, I got it." And I said, "I'm not asking you." And, you know, it kind of irritated him because I, we were very close, and I'd never really given a direct order. And I remember he scooted over to the passenger seat known as the A driver and I go to the reach back to the back and grab the radio from radio man it's between 5 and 6 in the morning it's like right before sun up and I remember telling the guys button up your shatterproof goggles your Kevlar your helmet and at this point I knew that the guys knew that something wasn't right I mean, when it's 130 degrees and you're wearing a 90-pound combat load, you don't need help being uncomfortable. And they knew that I had a feeling about something. And I remember getting in the driver's seat after I put the bomb blanket down and I have the radio in my right hand because something told me, drive with your left, talk with your right. And I punched it. And by the time we go around this turn and I'm talking with the watchtower, who called the REACT. who's trying to get us on target. They're trying to walk us on target. And I knew that I had to take this road because there was one, one way in and one way out of this area in Dulab, Iraq. I just have to stay on this road until I can make a turn to get off the road and off the tracks to make a beeline to wherever the threat is. And I came over this hill. There was at least a 20- or 30-meter area that was soft sand on this one road. The rest of it was, like, compact, so compact it was as hard as cement. But this one area that was part of a dried-up wadi or a dried-up riverbed had soft sand.
3: Why is soft sand dangerous?
2: The thing is, when you see the soft sand off of a hard, compact surface, you know that if there is an immediate threat in the form of a bomb or an IED, improvised explosive device, it's going to be there. Within hitting that soft sand, it was maybe, maybe two seconds. And the front left tire made contact with the pressure plate. The way this works is it was a triple stacked anti-tank mine. The pressure plate goes down and it lights a fuse and the bombs go off. And that made the front left tire, once it made contact, it blew directly beneath me. So many things happen before I'm ejected out of the Humvee. The firewall on the Humvee folded, so that broke my right foot. A piece of shrapnel or a piece of the Humvee went through the bottom of my left arm that I was driving with and came out the top. Then the steering wheel and the dashboard disengaged and hit me in my chest, which is on the front of our flak jackets is where we wear all of our magazines, where we keep all of our ammo for quick and easy access, which made all my magazines explode. And it also broke every one of my ribs. In this process, I had a piece of shrapnel go through the right lens of my goggles. Then I was ejected. I was blown 30 feet through the top of the Humvee because we operated in two-door soft top Humvees. And I remember being in the air knowing, this is very, very bad.
4: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
3: I can't believe you remember all of these details on something that happened in the blink of an eye as if it was in slow motion. We left you off with you literally mid-air after the explosion.
2: I ended up landing ways away from the REACT team and I stuck the landing with my head because I'm a Marine and we believe in good form. My ears were just ringing and ringing and it was just so loud. And I smelt smoke, fire, All the sand was still this huge cloud because the sand is so fine, it's like baby powder fine. And it takes forever when there's an explosion or even when you're driving for it to settle. it's not like dust on a dirt road. It settles fairly quickly. I mean, this stuff just, it's like it floats in the air. And so I still couldn't see where the vehicles were and I couldn't figure out where I was. But then my A driver started yelling check, check. And I remember trying to immediately make my way back to the lead vehicle and I was going towards the sound of his voice. And so I started pulling myself with my right arm and I was trying to move my whole body and the only thing that would function or even move was my right arm. And so as I'm pulling, I I realize I don't have a weapon. And so I start to move my left arm which was just flopping around. And I knew it was broken, I didn't even have to look. But I was waiting for my arm to hit metal, hit the rail system of my M16, and, and I couldn't find it. And then I looked down, and I could see with my left eye that I wasn't going anywhere, I was just scooping sand. And the whole time I'm hearing, "shack, Shaq. This crushed my soul is when he broke military protocol and he he just yelled my first name. And he just yelled, Jacob. And it was this blood-curdling scream of desperosity just to have any sign of me. Because I'm sure when he looks in the passenger seat and all he sees are my rounds from my magazines and my blood, but no me. I remember when he did that and it broke my heart. I couldn't get to him and I was trying hard and it it just crushed me because I love I him so much and I wanted him to know like, hey man, I'm okay. And two, like, stop yelling because you're making us a target. Stop yelling.
3: Why? What were you afraid of?
2: I didn't know if we were going to take on small arms fire. I didn't know if there was going to be a secondary attack. I didn't know and so at that point, I realized I'm not going to be able to get to where he is, and I need to do a self-assessment. And I remember looking down at my left leg and starting my self-assessment to see what kind of aid I can render to myself, if I'm even able to do that. And I saw my fibia, and my tibia sticking out of my left leg, and my left leg was wrapped around itself, and my foot was inverted and turned upside down my boot was blown off, my combat boot. And I remember thinking when I saw that two things, one, that's not supposed to be like that. And two, this was a significant amount of force to be able to blow my combat boot off of my foot and not take my foot with it. And I remember looking at my right leg, which looked normal, and it hurt like hell, and I knew it was broken, but it looked normal. I worked my way up and got to my left arm and saw daylight through my left arm. It blew out five inches of ulna out of my left arm, my ulna bone, and then part of my left hand. Probably gonna lose the left leg, lose the left arm. And then I look at my right arm, and I just see shrapnel wounds, a couple minor burns. I couldn't see my own face, but I felt shrapnel in my face and in my chin and my neck. So I knew I was severely wounded. At this point, I still hadn't taken a breath when I got hit by the steering wheel and just collapsed my lungs. I wasn't able to breathe. Lay in there after my self-assessment and I just remember telling God, all I ask is that you don't take me in front of my brothers. Because I knew I was dying. This was most likely gonna be my last day on the planet. And so my hyper-focus became not dying in front of my brothers. And the deal I made with God was As soon as the bird gets here and those skids leave the deck, I'm all yours. All I ask of you is to not allow my family to watch me die. And I became hyper-focused on staying alive for as long as that took. Little did I know it was going to take as long as it did. But I was able to really focus on that and dig into something that I knew I had, but I rarely had to tap into, at which point I could hear a couple of the guys coming up and the majority of them were standing around me and, you know, we got you, shake. we got you, brother. And I looked up, and the first thing I said, I, grace of God, I was able to take a breath, and the first thing I said was develop 360, which means set up a security perimeter. And I remember the look on their faces like, oh, oh yeah, and I was like, yeah. We're at war and I don't feel like all of us getting shot with you looking at me. Set up the 360. Several of them went out, set up the security perimeter. A few of them picked me up and took me to the second Humvee that was not, didn't take any damage. Because at this point the pain didn't necessarily set in yet, but I knew it was coming. And by the time they got me in the vehicle, in the back of the second Humvee, to take me to the command post, And it started setting in. The more painful it it became, the angrier I got. And I remember they get me to the command post and Doc's right there ready to go, ready to work on me. And it was one of those moments that were surreal because I was, I felt like just minutes ago I was sitting with them and we were just talking and I was trying to come down off this adrenaline high and yet here he is, just straight up in work mode, and he's talking to me, and and I'm just yelling at him. You hit me, Doc, hit me with the morphine, and he did, and he hit me twice, and that's the only time he he would hit me, and it was uh, putting a needle in your thigh and releasing some morphine into you, and it was uh, I was pissed because he he had only hit me twice, and I knew he had more. And I'm yelling at this guy who I love and I respect and calling him a stingy bastard. At this point, you know, I'm in fight mode, fighting for my own life. Yeah, this other Marine that was with Doc that did this additional training to help Doc with these situations where he had a little more know how when it came to providing medical care to the Marines and to the enemy, which we did. This particular Marine he stepped on my left leg and obviously it was an accident he didn't mean to do it It really pissed me off the complete antithesis of politely asking him to go away is what I told him and I remember him getting emotional (laughs) and I remember that pissing me off more And so you haven't picked up on it yet anger is a very high octane fuel for me that I've learned to utilize over the years to help get me through the valleys to the peak. And I've used it as a motivator in a lot of bad, but now so in a lot more good. And I remember hearing my platoon commander giving talking over the net or the radio to our our battalion back at the base in Al-Assad. I distinctly remember him saying, we've got to get this Marine out, out of here. He's category four and he's rapidly approaching category five. Category four means urgent surgery. Category five, meaning expectant. Not gonna make it. And I knew he was right. Cause every minute that passed, I felt life leaving my body. And I knew I just gotta keep fighting, gotta keep fighting. And I was very, very grateful to be in the back of that Humvee in my right arm. This is just another reason I know God's rule. Cause it wouldn't have worked if it was my left. It had to be my right. My right arm, other than burns and shrapnel wounds, worked fine. I was able to hold my right hand up in the back of this Humvee. Every Marine that I needed to talk to, I got to talk to and hold their right hand and tell them how much I loved them and I respected them and that they had so much to do with me being the Marine that I am. And I remember telling the guys, even the guys that didn't want to look at me, And I remember yelling at them to look at me and to take a good look at me because this is what they want to do. And you have to fight forward. You have to fight for me. I'm out of the fight. And I remember when the guys were telling me, this is your bird home, brother. It's your bird home, Jake. And every time they said it, it pissed me off because I was home. Wherever they were was my home. That's my family. And I, I, to this day, feel that way strongly, that they're my family.
3: In that moment, what was it like to spend that final bit of time with your family, in your home?
2: I remember after talking to the guys and the Marine bravado going out the door, and just being completely vulnerable and leading with love in this moment because it was—I had already made peace with the fact that as soon, as soon as I get on that bird, you know, I'm done. Because that was a deal I made with God, and I'm a man of my word. And I remember I'd had enough of having enough being poked and prodded and bandaged up and unbandaged and bandaged up and yelling, why don't I hear rotors? Again, every second that passed, I got a little weaker and a little weaker and a little weaker. And I was starting to worry that I wasn't going to be able to make it to the bird. I was so hyper-focused and convicted and not dying in front of them because I didn't want them, the last thing to see of me was my dead body because I love them and respect them too much for that. And that's not how I want them to remember me. I wanted them to remember me fighting and going out like a gladiator, like I am. And that's why I was so convicted in it. And I didn't want to do that to them. The last thing you ever want to do is let one of them down and I finally remember hearing the rotors of the helicopter and landing, and they're carrying me to the bird. right before the guys loaded me. You know Doc was having to put bandages on me and then take them off and put them on me because I was bleeding through these bandages. When they were loading me on the bird, the rotor wash from the Black Hawk blew up the bandages, and the sand being so fine, blew into all my wounds. Like I can't believe it just got worse which is why one of the sayings I, I love to say is that physical pain reminds you you're alive, but mental pain will test your will to stay that way. And I'll never forget when my platoon sergeant I respected the shit out of. He called me Jack London because my grandfather's Jack London Chick and my uncle's Jack London Chick Jr. and I guess Jake's just not that cool of a name. So he called me Jack London all the time. Got on the bird, he was the last one on, and he kissed me on my forehead. And he was trying not to cry. And he said, we'll see you soon, Jack London. And I knew he was lying. But I remember when he got off the bird, look out to my left and I see the guys looking up. And that was the hardest part of all of it, was leaving them, which clearly I still struggle with. I mean, I felt this abundance of guilt about that that didn't leave me for a very long time. At that point, I started to feel like I was hanging on by a thread and got the attention of one of the litter crew (laughs) who's this young kid. I'll never forget how young he looked, which is not saying a lot because the majority of us over there were kids. But, I mean, this kid, it was like he had never even taken a razor to his face. I mean, he looked that young. And I remember him avoiding me like the plague, almost like my near death was going to rub off on him. And I don't blame him at all for that. I mean, until you've been in that situation, you can't possibly understand it. But I got his attention with my right hand. To his credit, he did not hesitate coming over to me. And he leaned over me and he pulled his, his left headset over his left ear, pulled it off back behind his left ear and put his left ear right over my mouth. And he got right up next to me, and I yelled, how long? Put it back over his ear, and he read it up front to the captain. And he came back, and he yelled in my right ear, and he yelled, 12 mics, which means 12 minutes. And I remember thinking to myself, you you can do 12 more minutes. And I immediately talked to God again, and I said, hey, big man, I'm going to have to renege on that original verbal agreement because I think I got 12 more minutes in me. As if I had a choice, you know, it's not. I don't think for the most part it's up to us when we get to make the call. But I remember leaving the guys and looking down and seeing them and my will to fight to stay alive was all but gone. Because I would already accepted, this is it. And I was going out exactly the way I wanted to go out, as a warrior. But then, here in 12 minutes, I was like, how far can I push this thing?
1: <laughs> Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
4: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You talk about the hardest part of that day
3: was saying goodbye to your brothers. That's a bond that so many people don't experience. What is that bond to you then and still 18 years later?
2: Where I learned that there was nothing special about my pain and suffering was a Marine Corps, because regardless of what I was going through, all I had to do was look to my left and my right, because they were going through the same thing. There's not many people you get to meet in life that would take a bullet for you without hesitation. And the fact that I know dozens and dozens and dozens that 18 years later, zero hesitation, would die so I could live. You can't put that into words.
3: People just assume you You tell your story and it's easy, but it's it's never easy. I can see you go back to that day. You relive it. Why did you start telling the story in the first place?
2: Great question. And it was because my grandmother told me to tour a Rotary Club it was the first time I had to tell it, and because no one tells their grandparents, no. And I remember I, <laughs> I, told this story, to a room full of people that were forty or fifty years my senior, and it was horrible. And I was still on drugs, and it was all I could do was think think about getting high. And um, I knew it was horrible, and I was sweating grenades, and I was so nervous. And I remember walking out of the side door of this clubhouse area where her Rotary Club was. And I remember walking out and I went to go light a cigarette and she walked out and she put her hand on me and she said, how do you feel? And I looked at her and I said, lighter. And she said, good. That was the point. And walked away. And I was like, okay. Mimi
3: knows best.
2: She's smarter than I am. or ever will be.
3: Mimi knows best. Mm -hmm. Married to a world war two warrior. Talk to me about scars.
2: The ones that are the most important to who you are aren't visible. And, you know, to me, I'm, I, I've am i had guys tell me, like, I'm envious of your prosthetic and your left leg and left arm because it's obvious. It's obvious you were hurt. You can't see my scars. And years and years and years ago, I, I, I used to take offense because it's like, how dare you I have no idea what I've been through physically. But... Obviously with time and maturity and wisdom, I, I totally understand where they're coming from. And I agree, I completely agree. It's the scars you can't see that are the most debilitating to your well-being if you let them be. People need to understand that seeing is not always believing. And that's why you can't judge a book by its cover because none of us know what we don't know. And it's like I tell the the tribe all the time, and treat everybody you meet as if they have a broken heart because you never know. Love and be loved. That's it.
3: You're one of the strongest people I know physically. And there's so many words that, that are warrior-esque that can describe you and who you are. Talk to me about mental strength.
2: It's your beginning, your middle, and your end. You know, The physicality is not always going to be there. You know, people get hurt or injured. Accidents happen. And those can be repaired, just like I had to have my right foot cut off. And now, you had know, to be amputated two or three more times, now I have a prosthetic and it, but it's a tool. There is no prosthetic for the brain. You have the one you have. That's it. It happens to be connected to your heart, which is connected to your soul. And the brain is the most powerful weapon any of us will ever possess. And I've done a lot of work to make sure that mine can function and operate at the highest ability that's even possible, especially for someone who's diagnosed with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress. And for me, mental strength will carry someone so much further than physical strength. And it's something that I I started working on as a little kid because I had to. The only downfall to it is, is that it can also be your worst asset. Because stubbornness and pride can take control of you and do a lot of damage. And I've got a track record of that too. I'm a firm believer in truly believing in who you are and being comfortable inside your skin, regardless of what it looks like or doesn't look like. Because every breath is a gift. That mental strength is gonna carry you through a lot of times that you wouldn't fathom you would go through. But that's why you need to be so convicted in who you are and why I've done so much work to be convicted in who I am and understand that I'm a mortal human being, just like everybody else that was given a second shot. I'm by no means perfect, but I'm going to fight like hell until I can't fight like hell.
3: What do you do to relax, recharge? (laughs) Not enough. that's true for all of us, though, right?
2: You know, a lot of times I hear, I'm doing my best. And I'm like, are you? Explain that to me.
3: I've heard you say I'm, that to me about a million
2: times. <laughs> I know, but it's like, you. Know, when I hear that, you know, we're not meant to be 100 miles an hour all the time. And we're not meant. We need to slow down and be present and just listen. Listen to the wind. Be out in nature. Watch a sunset. Be grateful for that because it is, it is the small things that we take for granted that ultimately when you do not have them, you realize how much you've missed out on. And I learned that. I mean, I was in the hospital a long time and I didn't see sunsets and I didn't get to talk to people I love all the time. And I didn't get to know if my guys were okay. And I didn't get to know if I was gonna make it through this 20 hour operation or this surgery or that surgery. And so I mean attitude of gratitude is easy to say, you know, and it's catchy and it rhymes. But if unless it's something you put into practice every day, it's really hard to grasp out of thin air. And so for me finding relaxation and recharging is being with my family, I me mean, being with you and the boys, my brothers and my nephew, my niece, and yours and your family driving around a ranch and being out in nature or it's being present at a ball game or just watching sports, not allowing the societal noise to pierce that moment is, I find that to be very therapeutic to me. And so I got a Marine buddy that, you know, and tells me, he's like, i Jacob never met a human being like you that you find therapy in every single thing you do. I was forced to. I mean, I was so angry for so long and so bitter for so long that it was like, I need to stop wasting time. And it's it's still a struggle.
3: We all have, you know, our good days and our bad days, and some days it's easier than others. But yeah, time is our most precious commodity. We have to do the best with what we've got and what we've got left. Thinking back, is there one individual or organization that's made a big impact on your life. I mean, I'm <laughs> laughing even asking you the question because I know there's so many, but
2: yeah. It's a it's a, an ongoing list. It's longer than probably everybody else's list. I mean, you know, just thinking back to my my childhood even, it's you know, my grandmother played such a pivotal role in me understanding what it means to be an American instilling that in me in such a young age and teaching me and showing me things that most you know, four- and five-year-olds don't get to see because it's too much. And I'm so grateful for that because she explained to me the real world. She didn't put me in a protective bubble and take the notion of, well, you know, he'll figure it out when he figures it out. No. She's the one that taught me to be the father that I am. You know, my father was didn't really ride... Us growing up, and he would give his sound advice, and you listen or you don't. And a lot of the time, we didn't. And the world punched us in the mouth. And then we learned. I mean, so many teachers that put up with my shit for so long, and just so many coaches, and even athletic trainers, and even friends' parents and uh, there's just such a long list that if I named one, it would do so many an injustice. I am where I am because of a countless number of people and organizations, to include the Marine Corps, and you know, Bethesda Hospital, and BAMPSI or Sampsi in San Antonio, and even March Air Force Base. My commanding officer that medically retired me, such an inspirational human being, and he's just a Marine's Marine. You know, my first order, I mean, my gunny, my, I could just go on and on and on and on. And just so many people that just their presence, by default, makes you want to be a better human. And I'm, I'm just fortunate in that fact that I know a lot of those people. And I mean, some that are well-known and some that aren't, that are all equally important to me.
3: Yes. Yeah, so my last question that, you know, we agreed we wanted to ask everyone we interviewed on The Good Stuff. What feeds your soul?
2: You. The boys. The fact that I know I'm fundamentally flawed. And then not only do I want to be better, I need to be better for y'all. And fighting like hell to get to whatever that end goal is because I know that I need to be at my best if I'm gonna truly effectively help people, help people who help people and so on and so forth. I mean, that that's what feeds my soul and gives me conviction to be better tomorrow than I was today because it's, it, there's no settled point. There's no point of like, okay, I'm good ever till I die. You know, as you know, like I'm gonna, I have an innate ability to push people to the nth degree. Cause just like I told you, uh, even when I feel like I can't give anymore, I know there's a lot more to give.
3: And I think that's so important that we continue to tap into it, right? It's an everyday thing. It's not a one time thing, like you always teach me. This is an ongoing evolution of growing.
2: We'll die eternal students of life.
3: Exactly. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for you having the courage to tell this story, to dig so deep and relive this day, but also for all of the work that you've done since then. Clearly your story didn't end that day on the battlefield because you're here still fighting like hell to make this world, make this country, make your family, make yourself better. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. I'm so honored and grateful to be your life partner
2: you're worth it babe and you know we're worth it and everybody's worth it it's an honor to do this crazy thing called life with you you know because it's god it's just such a it's such a rarity to be able to live with conviction and pure openness and to be able to find victory in your vulnerability while refusing to be hostage to your pride i mean it is it is demanding you know, because you have to have you have to let go of the fear of ridicule and judgment placed in those categorical boxes so you can be defined you know iron sharpens iron so thank you
3: absolutely all boats rise right thank you for being a guest on your own podcast <laughs> i know you didn't want to but I, I, I mean, I think it's important for people to know our why. And our why is because of what we've been through, what we've lived through, and how we lean in every day and try to focus on gratitude. Because it doesn't matter the person standing in front of you, they've got a story. Everyone has a story.
2: I think it's important for people to know, too, that it's not that I didn't want to, because clearly I do this all over the world. It's like I told you, I, this, it's not about me. You know, but I I do want people to understand this isn't for attention or for people to know our name, or this is for people to get a perspective, to help them make it through that valley in order to get to that peak and understand that there are a myriad of modalities that you can utilize on a daily basis to help you. If you just wake up and just survive, that's okay you're not going to thrive every day. That's your goal. But if sometimes you just survive, that's okay. And that's the point is that sometimes you just need a fresh perspective to take the next step.
3: Exactly, get busy getting better or just get busy. Jacob Schick, thank you so much for being on The Good Stuff.
2: Ashley Schick, thank you for being on The Good Stuff. As we wrap this 30th episode of The Good Stuff, we want to say a heartfelt thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the emails and reviews and for sharing with us how much this show has touched you.
3: Thank you to each of our guests who dug so deep and shared with us their scars and let us celebrate their victories from our incredible producer, Nick Casolini, from Jacob and myself. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode touched you, please share it and be part of making someone else's day better.
2: Put on your badass capes and go be great today. And remember, you can't do epic stuff without epic people. Thank you for listening to season one of The Good Stuff. The Good Stuff is executive produced by Ashley Schick, Jacob Schick, Leah Pictures and Q Code Media. Hosted by Ashley Schick and Jacob Schick. Produced by Nick Casolini and Ryan Countshaus. Post production supervisor Will Tindy. Music by Will Tindy. Sound effects by Eric Aaron.
4: Right rug flooring.